Well, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. It's great to have our Flint team back and just to begin to hear the stories come out. I um, want to let you know there will be additional uh, videos uh, coming out in the next week or two, so be watching the Solid Rock Facebook uh, for those uh, to get more, uh, to see more visually, but also grab somebody in a gray shirt, grab somebody who went, and as Jeff said, let them share with you one-on-one some of the great things that God did through uh, through this team. I've only began to hear the stories, and there's a lot to hear, so I'm excited about the work God has done through our team. Uh, thank you all for praying, for paying, for uh, especially those of you who went um, to, to continue in obedience, this mission God has called us to. Um, if you're a visitor here with us today, we're working through a series entitled uh, Unity of Faith, and uh, today we're going to be talking about Christian living. So this is coming from our statement of faith. We're looking at the essential elements of theology that we believe, the non-negotiables of the Christian faith that identify us as uh, followers of Jesus. And so um, today we've made it to one of the topics I think that is most misunderstood both inside and outside the church, Christian living. And, uh, and so let me just talk through a few of those misconceptions and misunderstandings to get us started. Um, I think that, um, first of all, inside the church when it comes to Christian living, uh, there, is, uh, there is quite a bit of misunderstanding of how God's holiness and his law are to be infused into the life of the Christian in a way that, that brings glory and honor to him and, uh, and doesn't become a tool of shame and guilt for us. And so um, I think in our church experience today, uh, we've, you may have had this experience, I, I have, um, where um, much like the Pharisees in Jesus' time, the law and the holiness of God become tools of heaping up shame and guilt on the people um, in a way of reminding them that they don't measure up. And so this is what we call self-righteousness or legalism. And so inside the church, the law of God and the holiness of God are misunderstood at times. I think Maybe in all of our lives, there's been a struggle to understand what they have to do with Christian living. Outside the church, though, even more misunderstanding when the people who are not in Christ look at the church and see disconnect between the character of God and his people. And so they begin to ask questions. Well, if you're God's people, how come you don't look more like him? And so the word hypocrite comes up when the disconnect is seen from those outside the church. And so we're going to be talking today about um, how the grace of God works in our lives to, uh, to propel us towards holiness and the role that God's law has in our lives as we follow Jesus. And so we're going to start in Ephesians 4. If you want to go ahead and turn there, if you don't have a Bible, we put black hardback Bibles around the seats, under the seats around you. Those are there for you. Feel free to grab one of those. Uh, We're going to start in in Ephesians 4 in just a moment. So first of all, let's define a few things. What does it mean to be Christian? According to the Bible, those who believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, that he has died for our sins and resurrected from the grave, those of us who believe that are now saved, forgiven, and adopted into God's family and bear the title Christian, Christ-like, Christ-followers. And so what we mean when we use the word Christian are those who have, by faith, trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. Now, there, that, word, that title gets kicked around in our culture and defined in other ways, okay, by um, those who look a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way, maybe live in a certain neighborhood. And so we're not talking about the Christian facade or a sense of um, Christian moralism, but simply those who trust and believe in Jesus. Now, when it comes to uh, pursuing godliness, there's a distinction between, um, there's a distinction between pursuing godliness fueled by grace, and then pursuing godliness fueled by guilt. Okay, One ends in humility and maturity. When our, the grace that God pours into our life fuels us to want to be like him, to pursue holiness, to per, pursue obedience to the law, in the end we become more humble because we realize without the, his power working in us we can't achieve any of it. We also become more mature in that, that we understand more deeply the work that God has done for us and in us and the way he's growing us. However, if we pursue the morality of God, the character of God fueled by guilt, in the end, we end up with more guilt, maybe a sense of self-righteousness and a a facade that we put on every morning to pretend like we're more moral than we actually are, and in the end, we end up self-righteous and immature when we're fueled by guilt or by shame. And so there's a, there's a distinction between the two. And we need to draw that distinction out. I think that every person who's in Christ has wrestled between the two at some point or another. Right? Fueled by guilt. 
I feel really shameful for what I've done, for what I've said, so I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to pay God back for it, and so I'm going to pursue holiness and obedience. And in the end, all we achieve is a facade, a fake outer appearance, and maybe a sense of self-righteousness, and we become like the Pharisees. But then when that becomes coupled with God's grace and mercy in our lives and we truly taste the goodness of the Lord, something happens inside us and we now see the law is good. We see the character of God as something to chase after and pursue. And that begins to take root in our lives and slowly over time we become transformed into the likeness of God. Now, one of the the challenges in understanding Christian living is the challenge of the now and the not yet. So we're going to talk today as we look through Scripture about what is true right now and what is true not yet. What has already been accomplished on my behalf, on your behalf, in my life, in your life if you're in Christ, compared to or in conjunction with what has yet to be accomplished in my life or in your life. The now and the not yet. What has already happened? Justification. I've been saved. I've been put in right standing before a holy God. I've been invited into his family, adopted into his family in a permanent sense. I'm justified. However, there's this process called sanctification, which describes the not yet, what has not yet fully taken place in my life. As the Apostle Paul described it, right now I see in part, one day I shall see fully, right? This understanding right now I'm in the process of being transformed. One day I'll be there all the way, but I haven't already attained it yet. I'm still in this process of growing and maturing and being transformed in the not yet like Christ. So in Ephesians 4, we're going to start in 22, but what Paul has just said is this. Anyone who has heard and responded to the true gospel, and he's going to, in verses 23 through 24, lay out some things about Christian living. So here's what he says. Those of us who've heard the gospel of Jesus and responded to it, this is our, our role to put off... Your old self, okay? So if you're in Christ, your role is to put off your old self. That's present tense. It's something I'm supposed to be participating in right now. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. That's interesting. Did you know your old self doesn't belong to you anymore? And we... When we have that tendency to go back to the old us and resurrect the old us that is now dead, we're trying to take hold of something that doesn't belong to us anymore. That belongs to our former manner of life. And he goes on to say, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This ongoing process of being renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on, present tense, something you're supposed to participate in, the new self. So we've got two things here we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Taking off and putting on. Taking off, putting on. How frequently should we do that? Every day? Every moment of every day, every conversation of every day. This is where the Spirit wages war inside us against our flesh, and we're in the middle of a conversation. We realize, you know what? I just started drifting back towards selfishness, and we stop, and the Holy Spirit of God empowers us to drift back towards humility. Moment by moment, conversation by conversation, decision by decision, we are taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Look at what he, how he describes the new self. Put on the new self, created past tense, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What is he talking about here? Paul is taking us all the way back to Genesis 1. He's saying that now if you're in Christ, you're involved in the process of taking off and putting on, what are we putting on? The new self that has been created, past tense, in the likeness of God himself. So you and I were created as human beings to reflect his glory, to bear his image, to reflect his character in the world around us. Now in Christ, what I'm putting on every day is the character of God. I'm putting it on new every day. I'm putting it on new, hopefully, in every conversation, every decision I make. And as I put it on, I'm reflecting the character and the glory of God, the world around me. I am becoming slowly, glory by glory, what I already am in Christ. See, I'm already made righteous in Christ. Yet in my daily living, it's not that obvious. And so I'm every day becoming, through this inward struggle and battle between the Spirit of God in me and my own flesh, every day becoming what I already am by the finished work of Christ on the cross. The now and the not yet. Now, 
one of the things I want to I want to look at here is the role of God's law in the life of the Christian. What does God's law have to do with being a Christian? Because isn't being a Christian about grace and mercy and forgiveness? Right? And so anytime I think about God's law, I'm just reminded of how how inadequate I am, right? How how, how, how powerless I am to be like God. I'm just reminded of what a failure I am. So what role does God's law have in the life of a Christian? Uh, for me, Hebrews 10 is a helpful passage. just want to read the first verse from Hebrews 10. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot this down. The author of Hebrews describes God's law this way. Verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually being offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. He just said a whole lot. He's talking about the law of God, in particular the Old Testament law of God, the do's and the don'ts, the Ten Commandments, the sacrificial practices that God's people are to participate in to become pure and holy and forgiven. He's saying these things aren't actually the goodness of God. They're just a shadow or a reflection of the good things to come. And then he goes on to say, let me just drive the point home here. Here's how we know that. Because they didn't work. Year after year, Bulls, lamb, animals will be sacrificed on behalf of the sins of the people, and it never worked to take away the sins of the people. However, what we see in the law, though, is a shadow of, a reflection of the good things to come. What do we see when we read the Ten Commandments? We, we see a, a reflection of God's character. God's saying, this is who I am. This is who you are to be as my people. What do we see in the, in the, in the do's and don'ts of God's word? God is describing for us his character and showing us that the law really acts as a mirror of who God is. When James talks about when we open the word of God, it's like a mirror. and we, we look into it, we see who we are. We also see who God is, and we see, we see the disconnect oftentimes in our character between the two. And so God's law is, has a purpose in Christian living. Not to heap up shame and guilt and remind you of where you're still a failure, but to show you of what God is growing you into. The not yet. If you're taking notes with us today, the first statement here, Christians are called. Christians are called to pursue righteousness and godliness. Righteousness and godliness. That's what he said. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness or godliness. That's something we're supposed to do, Right? Something we're supposed to put on every day and pursue righteousness and godliness. For what reason, though? So that we can walk around and show people how holy and godly we are. So people can be impressed with our morality. Not at all. Why did God create us in the first place? To reflect his image. So we are to pursue righteousness and godliness in order to reflect God's image to the fallen world. Right? So before I became a Christian... In order to be right with God, I had to obey the law perfectly. That was what the role of the law was to me. It reminded me of how imperfect I am. But now in Christ, the law of God doesn't serve as a master in that way. I don't have to perfectly obey it to be called a son of the Most High God. But because of the mercy and grace of Jesus, I am called a son of the Most High God. I now pursue this. I look at God's law as a mirror. I look into it to see who God is, and I look into it to see the, the dis disconnect between who I am, and I'm able to see the difference between the now and the not yet. And what God is transforming me into day by day, struggle by struggle, glory by glory. We're going to go uh, to 1 Peter now. And this could be confusing. We're going to be in 1 Peter 2, and then we're going to go to 2 Peter 1. So don't let me confuse you. But we're going to start in 1 Peter 2, looking at the first three verses here, as the apostle Peter describes for us this process of Christian living, this coming together of the now and the not yet. So in verse 1 of, second, of 1 Peter, see, there we go. 1 Peter 2, verse 1, he says this. So, put away. So Paul said, take off. Peter's saying, put away. There's still a present tense participation in what's happening here. Put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. That's our role as Christians. Okay? We have a role here. Put these things away. Verse 2, like newborn infants. Now, this is going to help us get our bearings here. Who are the new, newborn infants? New Christians. Like newborn infants long for 
the pure spiritual milk. So that's one of our roles is to long for something. There's supposed to be a longing inside of those who are in Christ. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up, future tense, right? This idea of what hasn't happened or taken place yet. I'm starting as an infant, and I'm growing up into something. What are we growing up into? Our salvation. Growing up into our salvation. Now, does that mean our salvation doesn't come or isn't, uh, isn't formally assured until we get to a place of maturity? No. Now that I'm saved, I am every day growing up into that salvation, becoming more and more what I already am in Christ. Growing up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So as a newborn Christian, we taste the mercy and the goodness of the Lord, and it's like spiritual milk to us. But if you continue to feed your babies spiritual milk, what happens to them inevitably? They grow up. They begin to grow teeth, and their little bellies begin to grow and mature, and, and sooner or later, milk isn't going to satisfy anymore. This is the, what the author of Hebrews describes in the end of chapter 5 as he calls the church to maturity. He says, right now you're still on spiritual milk, but, it's, but by now you should actually be teachers and yet you still require spiritual milk. He's describing, in my mind, somebody who's in their adolescence still living off milk. And so there is a time in Christ to begin to step away from just simple spiritual milk and to move on to, the, to the, maybe the meatier or the, the, the more mature things of God. And so Peter starts here by telling us to put away and to grow up into something. Now, we're taking notes with us today. We understand this is what I believe Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3 when he talked about being born again. And the question asked of Jesus is, how does that work? Do I have to re-enter my mom's moon to be born again? And he's talking about this newness of life that we have through faith. That when we trust Jesus, it's like being born again. Not only is the slate clean, but like newborn babies, we're, we're somewhat immature we need nourishment. We need, we need somebody to protect us and love us and nurture us as we grow into full maturity. Christians are, Christians are reborn in God's image as infants who need to be nurtured in order to grow. Nurtured in order to grow. The church today is full of baby Christians who've been baby Christians for far too long. I'll just be honest with you, that was my spiritual journey. When I first became a Christian, there were certain things that God used to awaken, awaken my eyes to his goodness and his mercy. He spoke to me through songs and worship. He spoke through me, to, through me, to me through a particular pastor who preached in a way I could understand it. And I began to latch on to these things, these, these, these elements of spiritual milk. And I began to, to, to believe that unless I had these perfect elements, God wasn't going to work in my life. And, I, and I, I went stagnant for a while. I began to get frustrated. These things aren't working anymore. And God began to call me out of immaturity into maturity, saying, Jason, it's time for you to go to my word. It's time for me to show you things out of my word. Right? So when we think about that idea of spiritual milk where an infant receives nourishment through what the mother ingests, I had been doing that for several years as a Christian. Whatever the pastor ingested and gave to me was my spiritual milk. And after a while, it didn't satisfy anymore. I began to feel spiritually malnutrition, and God began to speak to my soul, inviting me into his word on my own. And let me tell you, it was intimidating. It was confusing. I was very clumsy in God's word at first. I can remember I got asked to teach a Sunday school class after I'd been a Christian like three years. Oh, my goodness, the heresy that came out of those classes. I'm so thankful that every Almost every student who was, I was teaching a, like a junior high Sunday school class actually became Christians by the mercy of God and, and today are still living it. That's, I mean, by God's grace only, not because of what I was teaching. I was fumbling around in God's word, making points that weren't there, making up things that it wasn't saying, and, and missing the beautiful gold nuggets of God's truth. But as I fumbled through it and wrestled through it, one by one I began to trip over things that were true and God showed it to me and revealed it to me, things that were, were true. I began to fall madly in love with God's word. Quiet time took on a whole new meaning for me as I would open God's word early in the morning, asking God to meet me there. 
to speak through his Holy Spirit, to unveil things to my eyes that I'd never seen before. And he met me there. I was moving into adolescence. I was beginning to grow and mature, no longer requiring somebody else to ingest it for me. I was able to go to God myself. And I think it's true of the church. There's far too many toddlers or teenagers, if you will, in Christ still going after the spiritual milk and, not, and not, not really fully understanding why it's no longer satisfying. Well, maybe I need to switch churches, right? Maybe I need a different preacher or a different music team or I need a different life group and, 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 and not realizing that the Father's inviting you into a deeper level of intimacy, inviting you to leave the milk and to move on to solid food, to begin to taste and see that the Lord is good from his word. Now we're going to move to 2 Peter chapter 1, and this is where we'll, we'll land for a little while. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, the Apostle Peter brings up this conversation again it's in a really helpful way as he talks about Christian living. So he's already described it as a, a growth process from infancy into maturity. Now what he's going to say is this. He's going to explain to us how this works. Verse 3 of 2 Peter 1 his divine power, that word divine there translates God-likeness. So the power that he's talking about is, is, is a power that can only come from God. Talking about God himself, his divine power. Not the kind of power where we pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps, where we, by the will, our own will, we decide to do something. This is a, this is a if you will, a divine other than power that can only come from God. By his divine power, he, this is what he has done. He has granted us. The word granted here is given. So by God's power, here's what he's given to us. He has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So where does the power come from to pursue godliness? He provides it. This isn't a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps faith. Do this on your own will or, or you'll fail kind of thing. This is where we wake up and by faith we move forward, believing that God's spirit is indwelling us and empowering us with a power that can only come from God. And then he explains where this comes from, through the knowledge of him who called. The word called here is invited, and I believe Peter is referring to the gospel. God has invited you into a relationship with him through the knowledge of Jesus. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, um, we started in Ephesians 4, but earlier on in that chapter in verse 13, Paul's talking about spiritual growth of the church, and he says, here's our goal. Until we all attain the unity of the faith. What is he? He's talking about maturity. And here's what he says. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to that. Mature manhood to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. So as I become more and more like Jesus, I'm growing up into true manhood. And how has this happened? Through the knowledge of him. As I grow in my knowledge of Jesus, as I get to a deeper understanding of the gospel and the impact that it has had and is having on my life, as I understand that more deeply, layer by layer, I'm growing into maturity. If you could just picture the roots of a tree bearing down into the soil, the soil is the gospel, and the deeper those roots, those roots grow into that soil of the gospel, the more I understand it, the more nourishment I draw, and the more mature and the taller I become, and ultimately what? Bearing fruit. Galatians 4, the Apostle Paul says this, but now you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, this relational knowing of God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless element, elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? There's this knowledge of Christ that nourishes who we are, causes us to grow into maturity. Do you become a mature Christian by pursuing morality alone? No. You know what will happen? You'll become a self-righteous Pharisee. That's what will happen. You'll become prideful and arrogant. Pursuing morality apart from a relationship with Jesus, a knowledge of who he is that's deepening and growing deeper and deeper into that knowledge. You'll fail miserably and you'll become like the Pharisees that Jesus talked about. We talked about it last week. Who call people to a certain standard that they themselves can't keep. 
And so it's the knowledge of Jesus that God uses to empower us to godliness. Verse four, by which, this knowledge of Jesus, by which he has granted, he's given to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, these precious and very great promises, he's talking again about the gospel, that by faith I can be saved, by faith I can be forgiven, by faith I can know Jesus intimately and personally, by faith my eternity can be secured, by faith I can walk through this life with hope. All these beautiful promises are granted to us and given to us so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption of this world because of sinful desire. If you're taking notes, I want to point this out. Christian living is empowered by knowing Jesus personally and receiving the promise of his grace. Knowing Jesus personally and receiving the promises of his grace. That's what fuels true godly living. That's what fuels a a true pursuit of godliness in our lives. Fueled by grace. The more in tune we become with the mercy of God, his forgiveness over our lives, the more mature we become, the the more power we experience in being transformed to be like him. Now, a key word here is partakers. I really like that word. Partakers of what? Partakers of the divine nature. Just a couple of examples where the Apostle Paul uses the word partaker so we can understand kind of fully what we're partakers in. Um, Ephesians 3, chapter 6, he says, This mystery, talking about the gospel, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. It's mysterious. Okay? That the Gentiles are also fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So this word partakers is describing all of us who've partaken in this beautiful promise of the gospel by faith. We're all partakers in this. In Philippians 1, um, Paul writes this in verse 1-7, For you are all partakers with me of grace. And so here, Peter's using this idea of being partakers to describe that we are partakers of then the divine nature. So in the same way that divine power described God-like power, we're now partakers in a divine nature, a God-like nature. So the very nature of God is reflected in the law. Now we're becoming partakers of that nature. Now think about this. God's character can't be separated from his work in our lives. He doesn't just show up and clean things up and not leave his DNA in who we are. As we partake in his grace and his mercy, we're partaking in his character. He's depositing in us this new desire and longing to become like him, to look like him, to reflect his character to the world around us. We are now partakers Once you have received grace and mercy, you are now an agent of grace and mercy. Once you've tasted forgiveness, you now become an agent of forgiveness. Once you've come to know the love, the immeasurable, inexhaustible, undeserving love of Jesus, you now become a representative of that same love. To love the world as he loves you, to reflect his character in the world around you. The essence of Christian living is displaying what has been received. The essence of Christian living is displaying what has been received. As we pursue godliness and people begin to see Christ's likeness in us, what we're to do is simply reflect what we've received. The divine nature of God has come in contact with the depths of who we are. The spiritual DNA of God the Father has, has been implanted into who we are and it's taken root. Has it changed everything? Not on the outside. There will still be days where you see the old nature struggling. There will be days where you see the old Jason. You'll hear the old Jason in my words. You'll see him in my actions. And what you're seeing is the old me dying. Rearing its ugly little head. Reminding me of who I used to be. And the word of God reminds me that doesn't belong to me anymore. God's spirit says to me, Jason, let the old you die. The now and the not yet. 
We think about the spiritual disciplines. We've got an upcoming class. Um, it's going to start after Connect class. Um, called Spiritual Foundations, and we're going to walk through four or five different spiritual foundations or disciplines, uh, prayer, and we're going to talk about having a quiet time. We're going to walk through some basic elementary principles of what nourishes the soul to grow in Christ, okay? Well, we need to understand spiritual disciplines can, can have two different motives. One motive could be to impress you with how spiritual I am. So I lay out spiritual disciplines in front of you. I, re- I let you know about my fasting. I let you know how often I'm, I'm reading God's word and memorizing, and I just lay it all out there for you, and I'm creating this facade on the outside of how spiritual I am. When that takes place, I'm, my motive is, is, is fueled by a sense of self-promotion. I want you to see how good I am. It's what we call moral deism, where God is no longer on the throne. Morality is, and we want you to see morality. It's not at all what we're talking about here. But when I pursue the spiritual disciplines out of grace and mercy, I go to God's word as a living well, the place where I find life, the place where I allow God's word to wash over me once again with grace and mercy. The spiritual disciplines become life-giving, whether it's fasting or reading God's word or a time of prayer or stewardship, whatever, whatever it is, when I, when I come to it as a well of grace and mercy to taste again the goodness of God, he nourishes my soul and I grow in maturity. And I walk away transformed more and more into who I already am in Christ. Christian living. We're going to start in verse 5 now. This is where Paul, I'm, I'm sorry, this is where Peter's going to turn up the heat a little bit. Okay, so get ready. He's about to call us to action in a really significant way. So for those who say, because, because being a Christian involves grace and mercy, I've got nothing to do. Um, be warned, Peter's, Peter's about to jab you with, uh, with some truth here and show us that there is an active role of the Christ's follower in spiritual growth. Look, here it is, verse 5, 2 Peter 1, 5. For this very reason, so everything he's laid out so far, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Whoa. I thought the, that those in Christ are to walk by faith alone. I don't have to give any effort to this. Jesus is just going to do it in me or it's not going to happen at all. Right? He's just going to bring people to me who are going to say, can you explain to me how to become a Christian? Or it's not going to happen at all. I'm just going to ride the wave of faith. Here's what Peter's going to say. Hey, let's talk for a minute. Make every effort to supplement your faith. What does supplement mean? Add to. Now, you can't do it without faith. You do that, you'll fail miserably. You'll end up as an arrogant, self-righteous, moral deist. However... If you just simply ride the wave of faith through life, you'll be like an infant. You'll be like a 28-year-old man still sucking on his thumb. And so here's what he says. Supplement your faith. The word make here means to exert. i got to exert effort here. Make every effort. Exert every effort. The word effort, here's some ways that it gets translated. To pursue with haste zeal and speed or exertion is peter calling us to action absolutely there's no way around that phrase right exert yourself here's how you supplement your faith exert yourself with these things what what are these things what are these things you're talking about here peter before we get there let's talk about what it means to exert ourselves and to grow into maturity and then we'll come back to the things that he lists. I think for me, um, this illustration of an infant works really, really well. If we think about a baby boy, okay? Every baby boy has the potential of growing into a man. Now, simply being born a baby boy doesn't guarantee that that baby boy is going to grow into a man. And I don't just mean age-wise. What I'm talking about is true masculinity. Some things have to be supplemented into that baby boy's life along the way if he truly is going to grow into a man, right? Let's, let's talk about some of the differences. So, uh, for, so here's the difference between a baby boy and a man. Baby boys need protection from those that they love, right? Some of you have little baby boys, even little girls. They need protection from those who love them, right? What does it mean to be a man? You now grow into a person who protects those that you love. See, there's a difference between being a baby boy and being a man, right? Here's a couple of other examples. Baby, baby boys take from those that they love, right? They're really good at taking. God gave them these, these 
beautiful, loud voices to remind us that they need things from us. And we love them, so we give them what they need. So baby boys take from those that they love, but men don't. Men give to those that they love. You see, the difference isn't just age, is it? There's a character shift that changes. There are a lot of grown boys who don't give to those that they love. They're still taking, right? There are a lot of grown boys who don't protect those that they love. They still need to be protected. Baby boys receive life from those that they love. Unless you take care of them, they'll die. True men grow up to be those that give their lives for those that they love. And our world is full of boys with beards. Because that's what you are guaranteed to become, right, with the male gender. But just because you're born a baby doesn't mean you're going to grow into a man. That has to be supplemented with things, right? Supplemented with growth and maturity and masculinity. This is the illustration that the author of Hebrews and Peter are laying out for us in Christ. Just because you're saved doesn't guarantee that you're going to grow into maturity. You have to supplement your faith with something. You have to give effort to it. Right? Or we're just going to be a room full of baby Christians. Right? Still needing somebody to come and nourish us with the bottle if we don't exert ourselves. That's why in Ephesians 5 verse 1 Paul calls the church, therefore, to be imitators of God. There is an effort to be exerted here to pursue the character and the reflection of who God is. Be imitators of God. Back to 2 Peter 1, verse 5. Here are the things that we're to supplement our faith with. With virtue. What does he mean by virtue? This word is an idea of goodness, moral excellence. Not moral deism, but pursuing moral excellence with an idea of what it means to be moral and pursuing it fueled by what? Grace, mercy, and faith. Not fueled by, I want you to think I'm cool and that I have it all together. So we're to supplement our faith with virtue. We're to supplement our faith, and he goes on to say, and virtue with knowledge. Remember, that's what led to our salvation to begin with. That's the soil our roots dig into, this knowledge of Jesus that we dig into deeper and deeper, layer by layer, and our soul becomes nourished and we grow into maturity. Virtue, knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. Here's where exerting effort really comes out, right? In those moments where we're able to distinctly recognize my flesh is waging war against the Holy Spirit right now. How do I know that? Because part of me wants to go back to the old ways, but there's a part of me that's fighting and struggling to go a different way. And when that happens, I know there's a war being waged inside of me. And because God's divine power is inside of me, by faith, I can engage in self-control. And I can say to myself, I can look in the mirror, in the mirror of God's word, I can say, that's not who I am anymore. It's not who I am. That former life doesn't belong to me anymore. I've been recreated in the image of God. This is who I'm becoming. And in that moment, the battle can be won by faith. Self-control, self-control with steadfastness, this idea of endurance and perseverance and and hanging in there. This This is a great place for brothers and sisters in Christ to come into your life right here in perseverance. When you feel like giving up, when you take a step back and go, oh my gosh, I don't feel like I can exert any more effort and, and I feel like I'm going to go back to the old me. You call a brother and sister in Christ and say, would you pray for me right now? I'm just struggling right now. I'm struggling in my flesh. I know that's not who I am anymore, but the old tendencies are coming back up. Would you pray for me? Would you, would you maybe come spend time with me? Can we have coffee? And you allow a brother or sister in Christ, according to Ephesians 6, come alongside you in gentleness and walk with you towards maturity. Not only steadfastness, into steadfastness, we supplement it with godliness, this idea of reverence and respect of who God is, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Brotherly affection is uh, the idea of phileo or Philadelphia kind of love. It's brotherly love. Remember what Jesus said as he summed up the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your brother as yourself. Peter's pointing us to the same place. Exert your energy to love your brother and sister well, horizontally. And then he ends with affection with love. Our brotherly affection should be supplemented with agapeo, agape love. 
Your worship has a lot to do with your spiritual growth if you worship well. As long as you're not just showing up to sing songs and let everybody hear how beautiful your voice is, how well you know the words, when you truly come before God in, in, in worship that's genuine, you're expressing your affection to God, that fuels your soul towards maturity. We're to pursue the love of God. Now, these are things that are to supplement our faith. So is faith, faith alone for salvation? Faith alone drives spiritual growth, but we supplement faith with these things. Verse 8, 2 Peter 1, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours right now, if these qualities are yours right now and are increasing, not yet. What does he mean here? Is there a sense of steadfastness in your life? Yes. Is that steadfastness fully mature yet? No. Is God's agape love in your life? Yes. Is your understanding of that love mature? No, not yet. You see, these are the things that we already have growing into what is now not yet. So he says, for if these qualities, these things we're supplementing our faith with, are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me just lay out a hard truth that Peter just laid out for me. To be ineffective is an option for those who know Christ. That's what he just said here. There is a way that you can be in Christ and be ineffective. Not only that, being unfruitful is an option for those who know Christ, according to what he just said. These things we supplement our faith keep us from becoming unfruitful and ineffective in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we then know Jesus and yet remain unfruitful and ineffective. Well, the same way that your baby boy or baby girl never grows up to help around the house. We stay infants. We stay in that I need mode. We stay in that spiritual milk mode of I need you to protect me. I need you to love me. I need you to exert effort for me. And we stay there. We become unfruitful and ineffective for God. And somebody comes to us and says, well, are you a Christian? Yes. Why? Because I know the gospel and I believe it. But has it really taken root? Or is, are the roots of your soul in really shallow ground right now? Barely understanding the love and the mercy of God. And so Peter warns us that if we don't supplement our faith, we will remain unfruitful and ineffective, essentially immature in our faith. Matter of fact, the very next verse says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. So nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So it's possible to know Jesus, to be cleansed of your former sins, and remain in infancy like a boy with a beard, if you will, in Christ. You, you might have the facade going on, you know the lingo, you know where your position is in church, you know how to work the game, but on the inside you're just, you're just a toddler in the faith. Still needing somebody else to digest the truth. Still needing somebody else to nurture you along, and you haven't gotten to the place where you've begun to open up your relationship with Jesus yourself. In order to be, in order for me to be effective and fruitful as a Christian, okay? In order for me to be effective and fruitful as a Christian, I must continue to grow in. And I've just listed uh, the seven things that he mentioned there. Moral excellence, Right? I must continue to grow in moral excellence, relational and biblical knowledge of Jesus. So in order for me to go in my relational knowledge of Jesus, I need to understand more of who he is. And as I understand more of who he is biblically, my relationships enhance. It's got to be both. can't just be one or the other. can't just be you and, and Jesus, your homie, kicking it. He wants to speak to you specifically through his word. But it also can't just be Bible study and, 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 and learning words on a page. He wants to have a relationship with you. It's got to be both. Okay? So... As I continue to grow in moral excellence, relational and biblical knowledge of Jesus, self-control, endurance, respect towards God, loving others, and loving God. 
So in order for me to be effective and fruitful as a Christian, I must continue to grow in these things, exerting effort, supplementing my faith. Now, this comes with, with, with some caution, especially for us folks here in the Bible Belt who grew up, right? Everybody's a Christian. Everybody's a white, conservative, Republican, and a Christian, right? Obviously, it's not true. And just going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Your grandparents being, you know, your granddad being the chairman of deacons at First Baptist Church, whatever, doesn't make you a Christian. You yourself have to come to the knowledge and trust of Jesus alone for your salvation. In order to grow as a Christian, truly grow in maturity, your faith has to be supplemented. There's an effort on your part to be had chasing after Jesus. And here's the great thing he's promised us. Those who seek after him, guess what? You'll find him. When you sit down in faith and open your Bible, you may feel a little clumsy. I remember feeling clumsy. I still feel that way at times. I open it and I go, I don't know how to make sense of this. And I'm, oh, I need to step back and pray. I need divine power to work here. And I step back and say, God, show me what you want to show me. Speak to me through your word. And then I go back to it and I open it and I, and I read. And this is another reason why we do the, the spiritual foundations class, the how to read the Bible class. We want to supplement your faith with the ability to open God's word and have your own relationship with him. To have the God of the universe speaking directly to you on a daily basis. Guiding your life, calling you forward into maturity. Nourishing your soul, growing you. All right. So here's where we're going to land today, and we're going to come back next week. We've got two more sermons in this series, and then we're looking at doing a special Wednesday night to finish off the series. Uh, I believe it's in April. I'm looking at the calendar keeper, April-ish. We'll get back with you on that. We've got basically three more to hit, and we're going to hit another one next week, and then we're going to take a two-week break and then come back to finish up the series. Um, But here's where I want to land today. First of all, Christians in the room, I hope that God has beckoned you to something today. For those of you who've already begun pursuing godliness and and maturity in your Christian walk, I hope that today God has has beckoned and invited you deeper into that walk. I hope that those of you who are Christians today and still maybe today you realize I've been fumbling around in, in infancy or as a toddler now and it's time for me to move on. My hope is not only that you'll recognize that, but maybe you'll reach out to somebody a mature brother or sister in Christ, somebody you look up to in the faith who can come alongside you and and guide you deeper into your relationship with Jesus. And for those of you here today who know you're not a Christian, I'm just here kicking the tires. I don't really know where I land. I don't know this God personally. I know a little bit about the cross, but I don't know a whole lot about this Jesus. Today, I hope that you are able to see something clearly. God loves you with an undeserved unending love. You you can't pay back. You'll never perform well enough to earn it. You'll never be morally excellent enough to gain God's favor. And he loves you anyway. And today he's inviting you not into a religion, but into a relationship. Whereby faith, he wants to hit the reset button and make all things new in your life today. By coming to Jesus in faith and saying, I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. I have no other hope. There's no other way. There's no other way to find hope in this world. There's no other way to know where I'm going to go when I die. There's no other way to find forgiveness. There's no other way to find, uh, find, uh, find a way for my shame and my guilt. They just continue to chase me down. Today is the day that you come to Jesus in faith and say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness, your love, and your mercy. But here's what I want you to hear. Expect something to happen. Okay? It's not just God patting you on the back saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal going with you. God's going to, he's going to work in you in a supernatural and dramatic way. When your sins are forgiven, you're going to feel the weight of shame released. That's the beginning of the gospel working in your life, taking root. Sins are forgiven. You're going to be invited into a relationship with God. His spirit is going to begin working in you, empowering you, transforming you to be more and more like him. And guess what? It's not going to happen overnight, is it? It's a lifelong journey of following Jesus and growing into maturity. God isn't here today to simply pat you on the back and send you on your way. He's inviting you into a journey with him. He's inviting you into a relationship. And so I'm going to pray for us now. And as I pray, I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. Um, Our prayer partners are going to be at the back of the room. 
if there's something you would like for them to pray with you about or if you want more information about becoming a Christian, um, they'll have lanyards on. You just slip, slip out to the back of the room and grab a prayer partner. They would love to pray with you and talk with you. Okay, the front is open. Um, I'm going to pray for us as the worship team comes back up and we'll respond. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your relentless grace and mercy in our lives. God, we thank you that you don't leave us to be infants tossed about. But God, you call us into maturity. Father, we thank you that you empower us to grow, to learn. We thank you, God, that our relationship with you is not based on our moral excellence, but we, we do acknowledge today that because you have given us your relationship, your love, and your mercy, you're now calling us to pursue your character, God. Today we acknowledge that. We come before you, God, many of us to say we haven't been exerting much effort. We've just been riding the wave of grace, expecting you to do everything. So today we're here in submission to say, God, we're ready. We're ready to exert effort. We're ready to participate with the work you're doing in our lives. Not to impress people, God, not to earn your love, but because we already have it, God, we want to become more like you. And Father, we pray for any person here that doesn't know you, God, that today would be the day they hear the sweet invitation to enter into a relationship with the God of the universe, that by faith you forgive sins, you unlock the shackles of, of, of guilt and of shame. By faith you make all things new. By faith, God, you walk with us through life. You lead us down this journey from infancy to full maturity. So, Father, now come move among us as we respond in Jesus' name.